Hello and welcome to the NBA Next Podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about finan- what's next financially in the NBA. Keith, we have a next contract series for Tyrese Maxey. We're going to start with that today because we posted that uh, late last night. It's been on the forefront of everybody talking about with the way he's been playing. No more James Harden and he is finally getting his spotlight. Um, so you did, you dove deep into what Maxi could potentially make here in the future. Obviously, he did not get a rookie scale extension, so that opens up some different doors for him, especially with the way he's playing. So uh, takeaways from this uh, piece that you did, uh, what are we looking at as far as what kind of contract he could be looking at? Yeah, I think what's really fun is normally in these next contract uh, pieces, there's like four, five, sometimes different options that, that make sense for the team or the player. With Maxi, it's uh, relatively cut and dry. He's no longer extension eligible, so so we take that completely off the table. That That's not a thing that can even happen. Uh, then we get into, he's going to sign a max contract. Uh, that seems very, very clear, barring something extremely unexpected over the next uh, you know, several months here, you know, seven, eight months. So then it becomes, is he going to resign on the 25% max or is he going to resign on the uh, 30% max? So <clears throat> what we did uh, broke those down, what they both look like. Uh, just to, I don't like to do a ton of numbers on an audio uh, forum because I think it gets a little lost. So please go check out the article on the site to see this. But uh, tip forward, just a little bit of flavor to this. 25% of the cap max projects to be $35.5 million in first year salary. That's a five year total of about $206 million. If he qualifies for all NBA, or wins MVP or wins defensive player of the year, but he's not going to do either one of those. But if he makes all NBA, then he gets a 30% of the cap max that jumps up to 42.6 million. So a little over 7 million more in first year salary in a total contract of just over $247 million. So a you know, rather large bump there, you know, 40, almost 42 million, uh, I guess 41 million and change. Um, in total salary and <clears throat> 7 million in first year salary. So that's kind of what's at stake here for him. Uh, it's interesting because in a, um, in a situation where uh, he, he, how do I put this? If had he signed a extension, he would not have gotten designated player status uh, on a rookie scale extension, just because he, he hadn't been an all-star uh, he hadn't even been close to an all-NBA guy. Uh, he, he was just somebody who would have probably, I predicted, gotten the full max contract, the 25%, but would not have gotten the designated player language. And now he's playing well, not well enough that he may completely clear that. Lastly, thing to cover for him individually contractually, he could also leave Philadelphia. He'd be a restricted free agent, so that gets super messy, and they'd probably match it. But if he was to leave, $35.5 million in first-year salary, that doesn't change. But he can only get 5% raises, and he can only get four years total. So that'd be about $191 million. So we're in a spot where he's going to resign with Philly, and our only question now becomes 25% or 30% max. Yeah, and this is with, uh, what, the $142 million cap where it only goes up about 4 4.5%. So that's not even the full 100 uh, you know, 10% if, you know, everything comes through and it can go to the maximum amount. So he could actually make potentially even more yeah, if the league revenue more. goes up, especially with this in-season tournament and, you know, things that uh, may come with more revenue that they're, than they're anticipating right now. Yeah, maybe some of the uh, regional TV stuff that was driving, I think, a good chunk of the uh, conservative uh estimate maybe if that has stabilized a bit i don't know how much that has as far as revenue coming into the league but that that becomes a whole thing too so yeah we're we're definitely in a spot where these are going to be a little nebulous and and we we've talked about it before and you're going to continue to see uh reporters report things based off of a full 10 percent uh cap 
go up and that's going to be what the contract is going to be and all those things. And we're going to continue to use the NBA's actual projection, which is about four and a half percent is what, what it's expected to go up. But there, that leaves a lot of wiggle room there. So that's a good call out by you that, yeah, we could go now. Somebody did ask me um, after I posted the piece, they're like, so what if the cap goes up more? I guess Philly will lose some, you know, some of their ability to create cap space and the like. And I said, actually, no, because his cap hold doesn't change. They'd actually get more cap space. And then on the backside, yes, he would make more money, but the cap, the tax lines, all of that would go up by the same amount as what is max uh, salary potential goes up. So, so it really, that kind of comes even, but if you're Philly, you would love it if the cap came in higher because what their goal, and I know we're going to get into this is to use his smallish cap hold. And then that turns into, all right, we're using that. That doesn't change. That's a fixed number. So that would actually create more cap space for them. So that's they're, they're, they're as much as it means we're going to pay him a lot more. If the cap goes up more for flexibility reasons, they may want that to actually be the case. And that is the beauty of having the bird rights of a player like that because they could wait until the end of July to physically sign Maxi after everything else has been done. They don't necessarily have to sign him immediately as soon as free agency opens. So, uh, exactly. so let, let's dive into the Philadelphia 76ers cap situation then since we're, we're talking about it. What does this mean? What, what is the logical uh, process for the 76ers to get the – best bang for their buck yeah so with this situation it, it is it's a different one right where, where we've we rarely ever see a team uh with a player kind of say we're not um we're not going to sign them but we're still going to give them a max deal uh after like that that's just not a thing that happens normally if it's a if it's a max level guy even at the 25 percent max which i think tyrese maxi was it turns into a spot where you just do it and you get it done. But in this case, his cap hold is about 13 ish million. So what happens in that, in that situation is Philly has a lot of optionality this summer. We've heard Daryl Morey uh, openly talk about basically, Hey, we're not signing him to an extension because we want to be in a spot where we uh, have the ability to have, max cap space this summer now some folks have said you know they're gonna have you know double max space and all that and that's that's not true um that they're not going to be able to create that much cap space and so what i laid out in the piece is there's a couple different approaches they could take and then there of course there's you know in between approaches and everything else but but we we kind of laid out two logical uh you know paths here one is you you clear the decks you keep joel Embiid. Uh, which is his guaranteed salary at fifty one point four million. Then you keep Maxi's cap hold at just over thirteen million, and then you clear everything else out. You waive players, you salary dump uh, Jaden Springer's contract, you uh, trade away the first round pick, you select a draft and stash guy, uh, you you renounce all your free agents, and that leaves Philly with about sixty five point eight million in cap space. And so in that case, a uh, 10 plus years of service max uh, is 49.7 million. So you could go get one of those guys and still have 16 million left and they'd have the room exception. So then what I laid out, because this is where it gets really fun. Um, let's say Maxi gets that 30% of the cap uh, maximum qualifies for because he makes all NBA. What you would do, how the process would work is you would use up all your cap space, then you'd use your room exception, and then you'd resign Maxi and be able to go much over his cap hold by almost $30 million. So what happens in this case is you'd have Embiid, you'd have the Max guy, you'd have Maxi. That's up over $140 million, just those guys. You use the leftover cap space, either on one free agent or multiple at $16 million. You use that up, you use a room exception of eight million to get somebody, and then you fill out with veteran minimums. And I just use you know two year vet and guys for now because they'd be a contender, so they'd take more of a Lakers approach to filling it out. They would go from being a cap space team to over the luxury tax all in the span of one summer, which is incredibly rare. That that just doesn't really happen. So, and the only way it can happen is 
having a guy like Maxi who stands to make you know somewhere between uh, you know twenty two and thirty million more uh, on his uh, on his contract over his cap hold. So so that's kind of a, a fun spot to just be in as far as you know if you're you're a cap and roster nerd like obviously uh, we are. That's really crazy to be a cap space team to a tax team all in the span of one summer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the only other rare thing that I can think of is Oklahoma City, where they were uh, what a year or two <laughs> below the floor, but also over the cap, over the cap, and <laughs> yep. you know, weird stuff that happens like that. So what happened? That if- was just so everybody knows that was because the Thunder had very little <laughs> actual salary, but they had massive trade exceptions right. um, on the books that kept them, yeah, well under the floor, but all, simultaneously o- over the cap, which was. And it was funny. I, I I know for I'm sure for you on the site in my spreadsheets, it did not like that. <laughs> it did not uh you know know how to really handle and process that. It didn't want to uh, see that. So I had to do a little bit of manual intervention uh, to to make things a little bit cleaner on that front. Yeah, yeah. I always have to tweak the code here and there. <laughs> so what happens if they want to retain some of their talent? I know Jer- Jaden Springer. You know, you have yep. Paul Reed that you've mentioned in here. Uh, I, Tobias Harris, I'm not sure where I think he may be a free agent this year, going into next yep. year. So, what if they wanted to retain some of the talent that they already have to keep their roster as deep as possible? Yeah, so we'll talk about Tobias Harris because that was an interesting one, and that question came up from a couple people: is you know can they retain him? The challenge with Tobias Harris is he's essentially on a max contract right now, so his cap hold's going to be a max, and if you keep him on the books, you just you're not going to have cap space. Because at that point, you have Embiid, Maxi, and another max cap hold. You're going to be in a spot where you're going to be up and over the cap. So so I didn't do a projection, a full projection with that. And we could talk about a way they could keep Harris here in a minute. So what I did is a, I called it the retaining some talent uh, scenario. And in that talent, guys, you mentioned, so Jaden Springer stays. Paul Reed's contract becomes fully guaranteed. Those are guys who... Reed's already an important rotation guy. Springer looks like he's becoming that uh, under Nick Nurse. And then I also had him keeping DeAnthony Melton because I think he's become an important player. He's a good fit in the backcourt with Maxi, And his cap hold is not yeah, entirely unreasonable. So in this situation, you have the, the – and you also keep your first-round pick. So now you're talking Embiid, Melton's cap hold, about $15 million. Maxi's cap hold. Paul Reed at 7.7, Jaden Springer just over four. And then right now they project to get the 28th pick in the draft, which feels probably about right if they keep winning at their current pace. Uh, that's about 2.7 million. So that would leave them with the cap space of about 40.9 million. So that's far less than uh, the previous projection. But now you also have Reed, Springer, Melton, draft pick alongside Maxine and Bede. So that's enough to go get somebody. So let's say I just, for simplicity's sake, said let's say they go get uh, one free agent for all that cap space. So that forty point nine million, Maxi still gets the thirty percent of the cap max. You let's say Melton resigns for rough the same as his cap hold because that feels about right. You still have the room exception. Then you have Reed. You have Springer, first round pick, and you're filling out with a with a few less. Uh, veteran minimum free agents because you've obviously kept some guys. So in this case, again, though, even that scenario, they go from cap space team, 40 million in cap space to over the luxury tax. So they would end up about 12.7 over the luxury tax and about 5.3 million over the tax apron. Now, this is where I want to call out if Maxi doesn't qualify in this scenario or the major cap space scenario, if he doesn't qualify for the 30% max, he still comes in at $35.5 million. So take about $7.1 million off. So you're still over the luxury tax even then in the either scenario. You could cut it down a little bit more if you sign like two second-round picks, which really does project to have um, in this upcoming draft. And that would cut about $2 million total off the tax bill. Um, there. So let's say we cut you know nine million off. You're still over luxury tax, which again remains remarkable that you go from being a cap space team to over the luxury tax, even if it's the uh, the l- lower amount on, on that. 
Yeah, it's fascinating the, all the different scenarios that could go into play. Do, like you said, do they want to rip it down to nothing or do they want to retain some of that depth, some of that talent that they already have and and go from there? And I mean, we've seen both situations in, you know, in the last 12 months where, you know, Phil, or Phoenix, they've acquired players but now they have all minimums the Lakers did that to a certain extent where they had mm -hmm. all minimums behind a little bit of depth but not a lot of depth um, and then you got teams that are super deep and then they just add in a couple veteran minimums to help out so it's really going to be on the front office and, and Nick Nurse to decide do we really like the players that we have and we want to retain them because we see their growth or do we really want to just clear it all out and bring in other players that may fit better in under his uh, coaching style. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the bring it all the way down to, to the bare minimum, you know, salaries, which was, again, was just a beat and maxi. If you're doing that, that's because, you know, you have a slam dunk uh, free agent that's coming in and it, it's already been kind of lined up and set up and everything. So, it's very unlikely that, that that's going to happen. Um, it, it's uh, I just don't see of the, the free agents that project to be out there. Then to be clear, uh, yes, we're already starting that work um, prepping for next year. Um, part of this is it is um, it, it is a spot where it becomes um, uh, a um, how do I phrase this? It becomes if you're not going to get one of those guys, you're better off retaining some of your talent. Mm -hmm. And then I, I know I, I, I said it as, you know, use that 40 million in cap space on one guy. And even in that case, you're probably spreading that around a little bit, right? You maybe you go for, you know, two twenty million million players. You, you go for whoever the emerges as like the Bruce Brown of this class, plus somebody else. And now you're in a spot. I do want to lay out. Cause I said, I'd come back to it. In the Tobias Harris situation, it, it that is um, what Philly could do. Now, this is where they would get wildly expensive as a team. So Daryl Morey's already kind of talked about, hey, I might use some of my flexibility is like pre-agency. And they may go trade for a player right now and not actually even be uh, players in free agency. And how they would do that is in about a month and a half uh, when all of the guys – they can uh, aggregate together that they got from the Clippers trade. So guys like Morris and Covington and Batum, they may go put those guys together in a trade, use some of the draft picks they got. And I, I'll use Zach Levine because we know he's out on the trade trade market now. Uh, go get him, right? And go go get a guy like Zach Levine. And then you can, uh, that, that eats up into your cap space. But in that situation, now you stay over the cap you're still going to re-sign Maxi to a max deal. And now all of a sudden, instead of using that cap space um, to, to get a 40 million plus player, you traded for the player early. And now you have like in that situation, Embiid, Levine, and Maxi is all 40 to $50 million players. Then you could re-sign a guy like Tobias Harris. And you know, if he has a good enough year, you could probably say, nah, I need 25 to 30 million. Like that's the level I'm at. Then you do that. Then you resign Melton. You keep Paul Reed, and all of a sudden, you pile all those together. Now you're you're looking a little bit like the Celtics uh, are as far as being you know up and over the tax and the apron and the second apron. You're, you're going to be uh, you know well deep into to that level of spending. So that is an option that they could go down if they kind of say let's punt on on this. Last thing I want to say about Tyrese Maxey, just because I think it's a super cool note, and this came from Bobby Marks of, of ESPN. He would become the first player in history to qualify for a designated player deal when coming off the rookie scale that didn't already sign an extension. So what happens normally, like a guy like Anthony Edwards, for example, he's already signed his extension with the, the, uh, the designated player language in there. So basically, Hey, you make all NBA, you know, we could pay you up to 30%. Um, with this Maxi would become the first guy to qualify for that coming off of it without having signed an extension already that had that language in it. So that's, that's pr pretty cool too. Just, and again, a unique situation for the player and the team uh, with where they're at. 
Yeah, a unique situation all around. Player, team, you know, the the different options that they have are just fascinating. I mean, you running through all these different scenarios, and then if you add Tobias or if they make uh, a trade and then they can keep some of their players, and then, yes, their salaries are high, but if it, you're putting the players around the coach that fits that mm-hmm. coach's style, then it may be better off than ripping it all the way down and then trying to find – you know, players in free agency where the free agent market may not even be where you want it to be. There may not be players that are available. So then you're going to have to either use it within a trade anyways, or Mm -hmm. you're just not going to use it to, you know, they have to use it to get to at least to the floor anyways, but you understand what I'm saying. So yeah, (laughs) well, I think the bigger point is if you didn't use it, I think Joel Embiid in his prime is going to have some questions. Right. I I, I think he might be like, where are we going here? Like, well, what is happening with this? So, but no, I fully get what you're saying. It's definitely a similar situation to the whole Giannis over the summer situation where, you know, show me that we're going in the correct direction. There is no, we're in a process now. We are already there you need to put players around me that we can get past the first round in the playoffs. We can get deep. We can get to a finals and potentially win a championship as opposed to we're just uh, going through the motions. And so if I had to lean one way or another, I would put it on they're going to go the pre-agency route just to, you know, cherry pick a player to fill in and then have the rights and then go from there so that they can retain some of the depth on their roster, because as we see every year, the more depth you have, the better you are, especially now that we have the in-season tournament where teams are actually trying to win and want to win because it's just, you know, they, they want a trophy. They want the extra money or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. And then going into the playoffs, depth is always a big concern. Yes, there's, you know, the rotation squishes down to nine, eight, nine, maybe 10 players, but you know, injuries always happen. So the more depth you can have, the better. So that's where I'm leaning for this Philadelphia team to potentially uh, go. Yeah. It should come to no surprise to anyone that on a uh, financial and roster thing, we're fairly well aligned uh, you and I. So that, I, I think that's just a smarter play because we've seen free agency is not what it once was. Yeah, if all of the major free agents chose that path, like nobody signed extensions and they all opted out, I mean, we'd have a ridiculously loaded class of guys like LeBron and Kawhi and Pascal Siakam, Drew Holiday, Paul George, DeMar DeRozan, OG Ananobi. The problem is some of those guys have options and some of those guys are definitely going to extend. So I don't think we're in a spot where we're going to see all of those guys hit free agency. Uh, Maybe a couple of them do. And even then, you got to look at it and say, are those the right guys for Philadelphia? And are they the right guys for Philadelphia to spend 40 plus million a year on? So that's where I think. And, and I know I use Zach Levine as an example. And that was strictly because he's out there. He's in the news right now. We know that's a, a thing. So I don't, but I don't expect that he is the guy and that's the guy they have to go get or anything like that. I'm not saying that by any means. So I think that turns into, though, you know, where do we go with this uh for philly and i think you know daryl morey's comments publicly have been very clear of hey don't put all your eggs in the free agent basket because we may go a slightly different direction which is is fine and and i think is smart i I think it's a really uh you know intelligent way to kind of handle this because i think we're in a spot where all right this makes sense like we're, we're we're gonna you know consider our options every single way and kind of go go from there with all of this all right anything else with this keith um before we transition no just go read the piece uh please i you know there's it's very hard to convey you know again here on podcast format all the numbers and all that and i and i think you know we did a pretty good job of laying them all out there so you could go see both for maxi and for philadelphia which was it was just a fun different way to do one of these because normally this is almost solely focused on the player um but this one has that that heavy team component because of where the player and the team are uh with this so you know it just go go check it out and look at it and and i think you know people will find a lot of interesting things yeah i i really like the philadelphia section where you broke down step by step each player the room exception etc so yes Please go read it. 
Uh, fines and suspensions came down yesterday for the <laughs> Minnesota Golden State uh, fiasco fight altercation, whatever you want to call it at this point, the choking out. Uh, Draymond Green, five-game suspension, which equates to just over – $769,000. Uh, Jaden McDaniels, Rudy Gobert, and Clay Thompson were all fined $25,000 for their involvement. Uh, any thoughts, uh, Keith, with the fines and suspensions that came down yesterday? Yeah, the the, fi- the simple fine part for McDaniels, Gobert, and Thompson, that's expected anytime you're involved in anything like that. You're probably going to gonna get dinged with a fine. No suspension for them, nor should there have been. It was one of those just, you know, things happen in a season and guys get into it. The Draymond Green part is where it's it's interesting. I think if we if this was Draymond Green's first time he had ever done anything like this, we're probably looking at a couple games. But Joe Dumars in the NBA's press release, and yes, it's that Joe Dumars that the fans of around our age probably know. He is a, a guy who now is kind of in charge of uh doing stuff like this for the NBA. It used to be the Kiki Vandaway role for a while, and now it's him. He noted past history comes into play here uh, with Draymond Green. So so he, he gets uh, you know the five-game suspension, so the Warriors. It, it's interesting. Yes, you would rather have Draymond Green on the floor than not, but it's not like the Warriors don't have extensive history playing without him. The challenge is, you now might be without him and Stephen Curry for at least some of those five games. So that's going to make things a little tricky. They've got an in-season tournament game tomorrow night on Friday. Now we're recording this Thursday morning. Uh, so when they, they play that game, they won't, I don't think Curry's going to play. So I think they're going to be without both of them. So that gets a little messy um, for them as well, because those in-season tournament games, it's funny if you pull up on any of the standings tabs out there, you can pull up those and you can already see if you have one loss, you're already kind of behind the eight ball in that. Cause there's a good chance there might be a team in your group that kind of sweeps the group. So, so that that's getting interesting with that. And then um, the, the tax savings for the Warriors, even on a five game suspension are really incredible with how, how quickly they add up. Cause you know, what, what is it? If, correct me if I'm wrong here, Scott, I know you're deeper into this than I am, but it's half of it, right. Half comes of it. off of their tax bill. Plus well, the, half of the it comes multipliers. Off of their, yeah. Half comes off of his Draymond's uh, taxable salary. So the yep. actual savings, I don't have it in front of me, but it's, a substantial amount of savings because of how far over they are. Yeah, because of the repeater and all that. What with the multiply, it's uh, let me see. Yeah, here it is. It's it's about two point six million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it, it, by no means would you say, yeah, get suspended a few more times. But I, it's hey, if he's gonna get suspended, might as well uh, say I um, you know, I, I'm good with that, right? Like, and uh, my, might as well say, all right, well, we'll save you know. million. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a catch 22. You lose, you lose the tax amount, lowers your bill, but in five games, like you just said, if you lose two or three games because of that and, you know, other injuries that may happen uh, or whatever is next in their next five games who they're playing, they could easily drop many spots in the standings and then you have to dig out of a hole. So, you know, it's it's definitely a catch 22. I'll add yeah. on to this. That oh, that night was expensive as a whole. I mean, Draymond Green had his second ejection of the season, so that was four thousand dollars. Yep. Jaden McDaniels and Clay Thompson were ejected, so that's two thousand dollars each for them. Plus McDaniels, plus Thompson, plus Nas Reed all had technical fouls at two thousand dollars. So as a whole, it was an expensive night for uh players of Golden State and Minnesota. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, these things add up very, very quickly. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I always used to laugh with um, it, 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 two of the people I remember saying it back in the day were Charles Barkley and Dennis Rodman. That if they, especially around this time of year, they're like, yeah, well, some charity got a nice donation for Christmas. Um, Cause that's where, you know, all, all this goes, all the fine money doesn't go back to, to the league or to anybody. It all goes into um, agreed upon charitable funds between the NBA and the NBA Players Association. It'll be interesting now to see do the does the Players Association come out 
didn't say anything on this. Like, do, do they do they think this was excessive um, for Draymond Green? Because they, they they will chime in um, for sure on uh, uh, some of those uh, where they feel like the suspensions were were too far. Uh, and it's important to note. Uh, former Warriors teammate Andre Iguodala right now is running the Players Association on an interim basis as Tamika Tremaglio has left uh, the Players Association. So I don't think that's going to be a uh, thing. I think everybody kind of understands the situation here and is going to just let this five games go by and move on. But we'll see if today, because this news did come down relatively late in the day yesterday, does Andre Iguodala and the Players Association issue some form of statement of, you know, we feel like this is excessive or whatever. And Green could obviously appeal it, but I don't think he's going to because that's not likely to be a thing. So it's, it's uh, you know, going to be interesting. One note on this too, these tax savings only come from a league-issued suspension. Correct. If it is a team-issued suspension, like a player misses practice and the team suspends them, they don't get it. They don't get to save because there is a world where they could very easily go, hey, we're only you know 500k over the luxury tax line, and that's going to cause us issues. And they could very easily say, let's um, you know, go into a spot where, hey, we're going to suspend you, but we'll make it up to you in your next contract. And a player might be like, okay, yeah, that works for me. That's why they don't do this. So that's the, it's only on league uh, handed down fines and suspensions that you get any kind of relief like that. Yeah, and we track all the fines uh, and suspensions under the fines and suspensions section of Track. So feel free to go and check out that. I go in every morning and go through the game logs and put in every single technical foul and ejection <laughs> that happens and keep track of that as best as I can. Uh, so feel free to do so with that. All right, Keith, let's finish off. With and, some- and I'll add on just because it's extra fun for Scott, these flopping technicals <laughs> oh that gosh. come out a day or two yeah. later. Those are always fun for him. So, yeah, in case anybody uh, wonders, because I, I know you're, you're, you're nowhere near the, uh, uh, pro, pro, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to fumble the word, but you're nowhere near out there on Twitter uh, forward facing as much. This guy works harder than anybody I know on tracking all of the minutiae, all this, because we're trying to get it all. We're trying to capture everything uh, that we can. So just, you know, shout out to your hard work and dedication <laughs> yeah. on on this uh, you know, minor uh, portion of the NBA. But to your point, adds up very, very quickly, especially for a guy like Draymond Green, who Let's guess this is probably not his last set of technicals and ejections, no. and maybe not even his last suspension of the season. No, I I <laughs> dread every season because he's usually up there within the twelve to fifteen <laughs> mark of technical fouls, and you know just his list in in our system is uh, growing <laughs> exponentially, and that this just adds on to it. So it's probably good that uh, you 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 weren't doing it at this level of detail during the Rashid Wallace days, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Keith, let's finish off with some minor transactions that have happened here in the last week. Uh, Yesterday, Daniel Tice, he has been waived and via buyout. So uh, what does that mean is uh, I did not see come through how much the buyout is going to be worth. uh, But what is your sense? Yeah, so I laid this out a little bit because there were a lot of questions on, you know, what's going to happen. And to be clear, this did happen officially yesterday. Um, he, he was waived on the 15th. So, um, so that, that, that part of this process is, is done. My guess, and this is just a guess, uh, based off of how these things usually go is Daniel Tice probably gave back at least the prorated minimum amount that he's going to sign reportedly with the LA Clippers. Uh, it go over there and fill their final roster spot. Cause we're going to get into how they filled their other one in a second here. So he'll go in there. They need some, some extra depth with Mason Plumley being out for uh, you know, a while, going to be several weeks, if not months uh, with a knee sprain. So Tice will go in there, play a big role as their backup five. Uh, and to be clear too, Daniel Tice can still play. He showed that over the summer at the World Cup. He just, with the Pacers, just they had younger options and guys who were part of their future. So they weren't going to devote minutes to a guy who's not part of where they're trying to go. But, so back to the financial part. Probably give back his, um, at least the prorated minimum. Sometimes it's even a little bit more. So we'll see. That money will come off of his dead money that hits the, uh, the, the books for the Pacers. And then what will happen is 
the Pacers will they're they're under the cap now, so they're gonna drop even further under the cap. They'll probably end up somewhere in the eight, nine million range under the cap. Uh still over the floor, but they'll drop under the cap and a little bit of flexibility for them is they now have an open roster spot. They can fill Tice will join the Clippers on a prorated minimum deal, and that'll just, you know, further add to one of the league's most expensive tax bills uh <laughs> that we've ever seen. I believe Tice, and then I know we're going to get into Josh Primo, uh, his conversion. I believe that took them over two hundred million dollars in, or Tice will when he signs um, in uh, team salary for the Clippers, which is pretty remarkable. Oh, absolutely is remarkable. Yeah, as you said, Josh Primo signs a converted from two way to a standard contract. I I did not see if this is multi year or just a single year rest of season. Do you have any information on that? Haven't seen it yet because it just happened yesterday. My guess is, though, this is probably just a standard conversion, which would be a one-year contract. Now, what will be different for Josh Primo, he is most guys when they're converted, they get converted and then they're they're set for restricted free agency after. Primo will not be a restricted free agent because he's already had um, he's already been waived from a rookie scale contract. So he's not eligible for restricted free agency. Um, That's just a little bit of a quirk in that system. So, so he'll, he'll just be there. And what is already said, the Clippers reporters were all over this. He is very unlikely to come to the Clippers themselves. He will likely stay in the G league. They're, they're trying to basically rehab his uh, reputation and build him back up out of the spotlight a little bit. But why all this happened, Prior to the Tice situation and the Plumlee injury, the Clippers, after the Harden trade, they were down to 13 players. You can only drop to 13 players on your roster for up to two weeks at a time and for only 28 days total in the season. So they really liked Xavier Moon, who they cut at the end of the preseason. Um, And basically what this was was, well, we have to fill the roster spot anyway. And again, this was all pre-Tice stuff. So we're going to convert Josh Primo and we're going to re-sign Xavier Moon to a two-way contract uh, out of the G League. And that way you kind of you take care of the roster spot issue and you bring um, you, you bring um, uh, Xavier Moon back in the fold, who they really like as a player. Xavier Moon's an interesting guy just as a, as a G League guy. He's kind of like a 4A guy in um, Major League Baseball where he's, he's too good for the minors but not quite good enough for the majors. And part of that is he's like a six foot shooting guard. Um, and that's just a little too small for him to overcome uh, those, those uh, limitations, but he is a good player. He can't play. So having him on a two way is a pretty good spot. So, so I think it's just, um, th- this is some of the interesting roster shufflings that we've seen have to happen here. The golden state warriors were in the same similar boat. They, they did it by signing Guy Santos, uh, to to a contract. So now everybody's in roster compliance, handful of open roster spots around the league. One last thing I'll say related to this with the Clippers, with Daniel Tice, a lot of people asked, how were the Clippers able to do this? I thought if you were over the second apron, you couldn't sign buyout players. What the rule is, it's if the buyout player makes more than uh, the, mid, the non-taxpayer mid-level exception, you can't sign him. In this case, Tice did not. He made you know $9 million roughly, and that's below the uh, non-taxpayer MLE for this season. So he was eligible to be signed by anybody. He could still get claimed off waivers. He's not going to be. Uh, there's nobody who has the ability to do that that, that would claim him. Um, so it's he's going to end up in, in L.A., but that's how the Clippers were able to sign him. Portland signed two players, one to a rest of season, Skylar Mays uh, and then Jamari Bowie. I, if I said that correctly. Uh, <laughs> yep, Jamari Bouye. Bouye. He signed <laughs> yep. a two-way, so a little bit of, you know, I guess, help with the Robert Williams being out and some of the other injuries that they All the guards. had. <laughs> they yeah. are hurting right now. Um, a- a- any thoughts with those two signings? Yeah, just interesting with Skylar Mays. He's a guy who's been kind of on and off NBA rosters for a few years with a handful of different teams. Uh, again, one of those guys, he's, he's good enough, but never quite uh, found the right spot to to stick. In Portland, I mean, remember before the season, we were talking about, how are they going to play all these guards after the, the, the Lillard and Holiday trades? They were with Scoot Henderson, Anthony Simon, Shaden Sharp, and then added Malcolm Brogdon to the mix. And I was like, man, that's that's a lot of guys. Well, now... 
uh, Henderson, Brogdon, and Simons are all injured. And now and all going to be out. These are not, um, you know, days injuries. These are more like weeks long injuries for those guys. So now they were down to, we don't really have a point guard on the roster. So Skylar Mays, who's on a two way gets elevated uh, to the main roster. This is a straight conversion for him. Uh, he'll be, um, you know, there uh, for the rest of this season. And then they bring in uh, Jamari Bouye um, from the two way or from the G league on a two way. Uh, he was a guy who was in the heats G league system. And if, if there's a place to be poaching guys out of the G league system, it's probably Miami's uh, given their track record with guys. And Bouye is a guy who's he, again, kind of been on the fringes of NBA rosters uh, the last uh, season or so. So, so they're, they're those two are going to hold down the Ford at the point guard spot. until they can get uh, Henderson and Brogdon and eventually Simons back in the fold. So uh, just, just a, a little messy there in Portland and the, the downside for Portland, I mean, great for these two guys, right? That they're getting this opportunity. Downside for Portland is it turns a little bit into a, you were already going to be bad and now you're bad without getting the data you need. Um, what does it look like with all these guys in the fold and figuring out how does this all fit together? So that's the, that's where it turns into a little bit of a lost season. Final transaction. Mike Malone signs a extension says multi-year. We didn't really see how many years uh, it is. So uh, in, in the data that I had, he had already been on an extension. So I'm assuming this is an extension that overrides the one that he had and just increases the amount of salary. Is that how you're taking this to be? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My guess is they just added more years on to it. He, he was probably either down to, you know, very likely that he had this year and then probably some form of option for next season. That's generally a, um, a, uh, team option on that that's usually how it works with coach contracts so it was probably hey let's just get this handled obviously won the championship last year so michael malone somebody they want to keep in the fold so let's just get this done let's finish this the only thing we saw on this in coach contract details are notoriously hard to find every once in a while an insider like Woj or shams or mark stein or one of those guys will have uh details more on the years them than anything which even those would be great to know you know how long are they under contract for um but it, it just it's very hard to track those down but my guess is this added probably in the range of two to four seasons um of guaranteed years there and the only thing we did see was it's going to make him one of the highest paid coaches in the league and what that means at this point is as much as is written now we we have no idea how much or who those uh grouping includes we know pop is in that mix because he was there we know monty williams is in that mix because we that that were uh coach contract was heavily reported on both for the length of time and the total value of the contract so so yeah it's it's just very hard to track down coach details but good work by the nuggets to keep you know now a championship winning coach in the fold long term all right keith what is next on your docket yeah, next we're going to actually pivot a little bit to something that's not really next, but kind of next-ish, and we'll come. We're gonna, uh, I'm going to write about expansion and how the whole expansion process will work, um, what it would, what the expansion draft rules are, and all that. Um, no, no uh, shame being put or shade put on my uh, fellow media members, but uh, during NBA downtimes, they love to do uh, mock expansion drafts. And a lot of them kind of bungle the rules on it and it gets very, very messy. Um, So we're going to attempt to educate everybody on that. And part of the reason why we're doing that is it is as clear as it has ever been that the NBA is going to expand. Adam Silver doesn't duck the questions anymore. Now he basically says yes after the TV deal. Um, And the TV deal is going to be sometime in the next year or so. Uh, that'll all start to to process through. So, so we're we're definitely going to see expansion coming uh, here to to the league. So we're going to get ahead of it a little bit and lay out some of the rules and how it all works and and all that stuff. And then uh, just sneak preview. You're going to be getting a lot of expansion content uh, right up until it comes because we'll, we'll uh, we will cover this as heavily as we've ever covered anything um, in my time with, with it because it's it doesn't happen very often. It's been a very long time. Uh, since and it's going to be a very fun thing to to cover because of the way the expansion process works yeah and it's been a while and we've had expansion in uh the nhl where they have their specific rules so i'm looking forward to 
uh, you're right up on this because I'm really not up to speed on the rules and everything with how the NBA uh, expansion works because I think uh, when we started this, uh, it's been the same teams for the most part, if I can remember, uh, you know, 15 years ago. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and then any other little things that you do, you know, if we have, you know, a random trade here and there, I know you'll yep. be all over that as, <laughs> yep. as usual. Yeah. And we, in just, you know, uh, looking forward, maybe three ish weeks, uh, it, about a month from now, the early trade season opens. And one of the things we always do in advance of that is who are some guys that could be available, yeah. uh, you know, in that period, obviously we know now uh, the bulls are at least exploring the idea of trading some of their guys. So that'll be something we'll, we'll be all over. Hey, I had one question for you. I wanted to ask, normally this is you asking me questions. Why don't I flip it? Sure. What was your take on Anthony Davis's comments about how the $500,000 <laughs> is uh, motivating uh, for, for the players in the, in to winning, to win the in-season tournament? Did, did you have a thought on that? You know, I guess every little bit counts. It's just sure. a little bit more incentive, whether, you know, they pocket it, they use it for their charities and flip it around and use it for charitable purposes to just to, you know, expand that, expand their brand, whatever it might be. I, at this point, they make so much if it's a little bit more of, in, in, you know, a push for them to want to go into these games, then the NBA is doing what they need to to make games in the middle of the season worth something as opposed to not worth anything. I mean, I saw the uh, the numbers that came out for the in-season for the – I think one of the ESPN and it was up what over 50% mm -hmm. in viewership. So the fact that they're seeing that means whatever is enticing more people to want to watch it, whether it's new in shiny toy that people just want to see um, maybe it's the floors, maybe it's, you know, the, the enhancement of the play. Uh, so I, I'm I don't all... think the floors are making anybody <laughs> tune in. Unless it's to tune in briefly to be like, how horrible are these? Oh my God, my eyes. <laughs> uh, I, I agree, but I do have to say, <laughs> sure. as soon as you do see those floors, I know, you know? immediately that yep. you're in, in season without having to see the fine print on the bottom of the... And that was a big goal. Yep. It, so it's done that because when I flip it out, I'm like, oh, in-season tournament. All right, um, yep. <laughs> I, I'm going to watch this. You know, Even if it's five minutes, I'll watch a little bit of this game. So it's doing the job with that. As far as the money, yeah. It, it, if it pushes those players for a little bit more, and you know, even the ones that are uh, making the $50, $40 million, that extra money for the guys that are making the minimum, yes. those top guys are going That's to work it. their butts off so that those guys at the bottom of the roster or middle of the roster get that extra 500000 you know, yep. bonus because that is money that they would not have seen otherwise. So it's not only from a league and monetary standpoint. You know, that, that's camaraderie. So you're yep. going to have those guys that otherwise would be like, oh, they're the 14th or 15th guy on my roster. Yeah, I'm going to be, you know, buddies with them but now they're really going at it together and they're pushing because they want to get that extra bonus for those guys so i'm all for it yeah my take and just to I'll rattle off my quick thoughts on this one is i've yet to meet this super rich person who doesn't like to have even more money yep um so, so there, there's you know some of the motivation for where the guys who make 40 50 million the second piece is exactly what you just talked about. Anthony Davis referenced, he didn't name the player, but he said there's a guy in our locker room who's like, we're one step closer to that 500K. I've never had that much. And my guess is that's a, probably a younger player and a minimum salary guy on their team who, yeah, that could be half or a quarter of his uh, you know, entire check for this year. You know, and, that, and that we all know you lose half of that anyway. So that's a big, big chunk of it. Um, and then I think the other piece to this is, I always go back to, because it's related to that last one. If we go back a few years to the bubble, when people are like, why does LeBron James want to play in this? Yo, he has enough money. He doesn't care if he loses the rest of his salary. That's absolutely correct. He could have lost, you know, half a season salary and never missed it, right? He probably wouldn't even have noticed. It would have felt like a rounding error in his bank account. But he was very clear at the time. There's a lot of guys who this may be their one year in the league. 
this may be their one million dollar contract that they get in the NBA, and for them to lose half or more of that, I you know, but that's not right. Like we need to you know get those guys paid, and then on top of it, right, it was let's go win a championship and all the other things that ultimately came to fruition for them. So I think it's just these are the things that people miss a little bit when they say it, and you know, hey, if like you said. I don't really care what motivates the guys. If they're out there and they're playing hard, we're going to get better games. And I also believe with the in-season tournament, I've said this over and over, to make the NBA, you need to be an extremely competitive person in like 99.9% of cases. Some guys make it solely on talent alone, and then they don't generally last and stick around. But if you're extremely competitive and driven, and you put something in front of guys like that that you can win, guess what? They want to go win it. So all, all around, I think it's been a hit. Even if the courts, uh, we, we probably went about 27 steps too far with those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the last thing I'll say is you're right with the, the more hardware, the better. So if a, yeah. a player win is able to win, say it's LeBron and he wins this NBA cup and he gets a trophy and on top of the championships, it's no different than uh, Messi accumulating yep. as many trophies and hardware as possible. So I'm all for it, especially if it gives you uh, the the reason to really want to watch in January or February where, you know, half the roster is injured and, you know, it's, it's meaningful. Exactly. So I'm all for it. Yep. Yeah, without a doubt. Yep. All right, Keith, uh, if you are looking to get in contact with him at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter – Hit us up with uh, any questions you may have. Next contract with players you're interested, uh, as we've been promoting, uh, we're, we're in that time where we can push those a little heavier than in during the summer. Mm-hmm. So please reach out to him. Thanks, Keith, for everything. Uh, for Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast.